And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help me now as I open up your word. Give me the right heart, Lord, and the right words, and help me to be in sync with your scriptures. I pray that you would open all of our hearts up. We're going to be talking about lying this morning. Our culture doesn't really care too much about lying, at least not in most settings. And but Lord, help us to, to hear your heart and to see your truth and to see your promises and your power and that we can be transformed in this area. So help us now as we open up your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. So I was thinking about this morning's topic. Uh, it struck me that I think one of the most frightening uh, stories in the New Testament, at least to me, is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Would you agree? Acts chapter 5, you can read, read it sometime. Don't, don't turn there right now. Let me just give you a little recap. Uh, in the early church, in the early uh, years of the church, many of the believers were very poor. No food, no clothing, no shelter. And the other believers who knew Jesus Christ as their heart's satisfying treasure, so they wanted him, they didn't care much about having lots of money, their hearts were, were touched about the plight of their other brothers and sisters, and so many of them sold property and possessions, gave the proceeds to the apostles, and the apostles used that to care for the poor. It's just rich how the Lord worked in that way. And Ananias and Sapphira had some property, and they sold it. But they lied about how much they were giving. And maybe they sold it for 400000 And then they came to the apostles and said, we sold this for $200,000, we're giving the whole thing. And they gave $200,000 to the apostles and kept $200,000. Now, the problem wasn't how much they gave. They could have given all or nothing. That was between them and the Lord, right? Don't miss the point here. The problem was not how much they gave. The problem was that they lied about how much they were giving. They lied about it. And because they lied about it, God killed them right then and there. They fell over dead. Acts chapter 5. Lying is serious. I, I, I'm just praying that I will get this more this morning, that we will all get this more this morning. It's very serious. And I want us to see that, because that's the topic that James moves to as he's bringing his letter to a conclusion. So let's turn to James chapter 5, verse 12. Um, we want you to have a Bible that you can look at this verse, and we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. Don't be bashful. Uh, James 5 is on page 1013 in the Bibles that we're passing out. I want to make sure you all have one, so keep it up. All right. We've been studying this letter that James wrote this, this summer here at Mercy Hill Church. Uh, James wrote this letter at around the year 44 AD. And he wrote it to a group of believers. He was a pastor in Jerusalem, one of the elders there. And a group of believers had to flee Jerusalem to escape persecution. They fled north 60 or 70 miles. And so a couple years after they've been up there, they've got a very tough situation. They're like homeless refugees. And James writes this letter to them to encourage them to keep trusting Jesus, to strengthen them in their trust in Jesus, and to warn them about different ways they could depart from trusting Jesus. And one of the warnings has to do with lying. So look at what James says here in James chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse today. Because I think it's, there's a lot to unpack here and it's worthy of our total attention. Look at James 5 verse 12. Here's what James writes. But above all, my brothers, 
do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Because okay, so I saw that verse breaking down into three parts. First, there's what James tells them and us not to do. Then there's what James tells them and us to do. And then there's the reason that James gives us for why. We should not do, and we should do, and then why. So let's start with what does James call us not to do? Okay, Just first part of verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now, when James talks about swearing, he, he's not talking about what so often in our culture we mean by the word swearing. He's not talking about using profane or obscene language. That's not his point here. Here, what he's talking about is a time when you would appeal to a higher authority to help people understand that you're telling the truth. Like I was on a jury, on a jury trial, in a, I was part of a jury panel a few months ago, and every witness that came up there had to raise their hand, and they swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So they are swearing there uh, by appealing to God as God is my witness, and may God strike me dead if I don't tell the truth, I'm going to tell the truth. Serious stuff. That's what James is talking about here by swearing. But what's puzzling is that James here says, don't swear, but in the Old Testament, God's people were encouraged to swear by God if they were going to swear. And in the New Testament, we see, for example, Paul a couple times swearing in this sense. Let me show you, and then we're going to ask the question, why Old Testament Paul and James, why are they saying what they're saying? So look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. First of all, this is page 151 in the Bibles we just passed out. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 13. Or if it's too hard to turn the page, I'll just read it for you. You'll get the drift. But if you can look at it, it's helpful to see it in black and white before you there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13 is the text. Moses says to Israel, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. So, when you're going to back up your words and say, as God is my witness, you say, in Yahweh, in God is my witness, not in Baal, is, you know, as Baal is my witness, or may Baal strike me dead. No, you're going to swear by God. If you're going to appeal to a higher authority to back up what you're saying, let it be Yahweh, God, the God of the Old Testament. Then look at 2 Corinthians 1.23. This is way back to the right, page 964 in the Bibles we just passed out. I want you to see how Paul does this in one of his letters. He probably does it five or six times. So again, what Paul's doing here, as you're going to see, is he, he wants to help his readers understand he's telling the truth. I'm telling the truth now. And so to do that, look at what he says. 2 Corinthians, you got Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, page 964, look at what Paul says. He says, but I call God to witness against me. So there he's, he's swearing by God. He's saying... May God strike me dead if he witnesses to me that I'm not telling the truth. May I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So do you see the, the puzzlement that I had when I was reading James? 
Old Testament, they're encouraged to swear by God. Paul brings God in as, as a backup authority to verify that he's telling the truth. James says, do not swear. What's going on? What helped me was to look at what Jesus said in Matthew 23. So we're looking at a lot of verses. Are you with me here? You're not still back in Deuteronomy, are you? Okay. Matthew 23, 16 and 17. That's... Back to the left, page 828, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels. Matthew chapter 23, look at verses 16 and 17. This helped me understand that what James is saying is in sync with what Deuteronomy is saying and what Paul is doing. Matthew 23, 16 and 17. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. This is a very powerful chapter, by the way, of Jesus just calling them out on their hypocrisy and their sin. And here's one of them, verses 16 and 17. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. In other words, if you swear by the temple, you can lie. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you should tell the truth. Verse 17, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? So you see what's going on here? The religious leaders had come up with some ways that they could avoid telling the truth. And so they said, if you swear by the temple, you can lie. That's okay. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you got to tell the truth. It's kind of like when I was growing up, I mean, do kids still do this today? If like you, you've got your fingers crossed behind your back, then you can lie. So you'd always look to see, well, is your your fingers crossed? Does that happen today? Maybe not. Anyway, or when I was growing up, it's like if if you stepped in a crack, you could lie, right? As long as... Anyway, okay, so are there other ways people do it today? I was, old, I was young a long time ago. So anyway, but that's what James is talking about. Some of his readers had fallen into that kind of a cultural thing, which was very prevalent at the time, where they thought, if you swear by God, you've got to tell the truth. But if you swear by heaven, then you can lie. If you swear by earth, then you can lie. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. So with that in mind, back to James chapter 5, verse 12, and look at what he says. It's page 1013, James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath like that, I think is what he's saying, like heaven or earth or crossing your fingers or stepping on a crack. In other words, what James is saying is simply this. Don't rationalize or justify your lying. Don't lie. Stop lying. Okay? That's what he says not to do. What is he calling us to do? Second part of verse 12, middle part. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And what does that mean? I try to picture it like this. Let's say that over here, here's reality. Okay, this is things as they are, the world as it is. And over here is your words. All right? What James is saying is, have your words match reality. So let's say, for example, okay, you're at a restaurant and uh, they've got a cheaper kids menu for kids under 12. Okay? And so the manager says, um, we've got a cheaper menu for your kids if they're under 12. Are your kids under 12? Now, if you say yes, then you should be sure that your kids are under 12. Right? Okay, if your kids are not under 12, then what should your words be? No. Elementary, okay? So you've got reality, and you've got your words, and they should match. Does that make sense? Okay, so 
The problem, though, when you start to think about this, is that there's, there's times when we're tempted to not have our words match up. We probably wouldn't call it lying, right? But we have other words for it. I thought, thought of a couple examples. Like, I, I find it easy to, um, to exaggerate stories, right? Anybody else? Like, let's say, for example, that you're driving um, home from work tomorrow night and there's a big accident on the 85, and so your commute, instead of being, I don't know, 45 minutes, maybe your commute is an hour and a half. But when you're talking to people like tomorrow night at home group or something, and like, you want to really have them say, wow, and, you know, if, if the commute was an hour and a half, your words might come out, it was like two, maybe two and a half hours of commute because like, that's going to you know, bring more punch, right? Now see, your words are not matching reality. That's lying, right? You're not telling the truth. Anybody struggle with exaggeration? I do, big time, okay? Another way we do this is we make excuses to like shift the blame onto others. We wouldn't call it lying, but we make excuses. Try to think of a time when I made an excuse. High school, uh, my car was in the shop, I had a rental. I just thought it'd be fun to see how fast this car goes. And so I took it out on the, on the freeway going from Pasadena down to LA, and, and man, it, it went pretty fast. And, uh, but the high patrolman didn't like the experiment you know, that I was running. And so he pulled me over and uh, he said, were you speeding? I said, I was just going with the flow of the traffic. And he just chuckled and started riding and then he said, you were making the traffic flow. That's, that's what he said. Anyway, so, okay, so the reality was I was speeding. I was making the traffic flow. I was trying to come up with an excuse to, to shift the blame on everybody who was driving. A, so my words were, I was just going with the flow of traffic. So that's shifting the blame. But see, that's, it's lying. Because I was speeding. I was not going with the flow of the traffic. Okay, Traffic was staying away from me. One other example. Um, so first we've got um, if you exaggerate, make excuses. Third is if you falsify information, either to avoid some pain or to gain some pleasure of some sort. Like if, if your tax deductions are $5,000 in reality, but somehow what comes out of your pen on the 1040 form is $10,000, you know, the words that you write, so that's, that's lying, right? There's reality, and then there's words, and they don't match up. Okay, so do, do you all see, you may have thought, well, I never lie, and now you're thinking, oh, Right? Maybe I should rethink this question. Okay, do you all see how often we are tempted to lie? Do you feel that? Okay, now. What James is calling us to do is let your yes be yes. He's telling you, tell the truth. Now, I was talking to my wife about this, and she said it'd be helpful to say, and she's absolutely right. Um, this, does, this is not like a license to just blurt out whatever you're thinking about whoever, whenever, wherever, whatever time. I mean, this is not a license just to blah upon people. Stir truth-telling in with other things in the pot like kindness and timing and grace and wisdom. Okay, right? All right? But what James is calling us to do is don't lie, tell the truth. Now, how does he motivate us to do this? That's the third part of this verse. Last part of verse 12. Let's read the whole verse, though, to get the flow of thought. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
we've seen throughout James' letter, he is he kind of goes for the jugular, doesn't he? He doesn't mess around on the surface. He, he goes for the core issues. Here's why you need to not lie and tell the truth. It's so you won't fall under God's condemnation. He just goes for the ultimate issue right then. And so what James is saying is that if you have a practice of lying, which, and what I mean by that is if, if you continue in a pattern of lying without confession, without repentance, you will fall under God's condemnation. Now, if you lie, and when the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, you say yes, and, and because you're trusting Jesus, you repent and confess, that shows that you've been saved. You will not fall under, under condemnation. The fact that you're confessing and repenting shows that you've been saved. Okay, But it's the fact that you're repenting and confessing. What James is talking about is if you continue in a practice, a pattern of lying without confession, without repentance, then that would show that you've never been saved. In fact, if it goes on without there ever being any confession or repentance, if that just goes on, that shows that you've never been saved, which is why you will fall under condemnation. So James is bringing this warning here. Now, what does he mean by falling under condemnation? And let me just show you one, more, one other scripture on that, on that point. Look at Revelation 21, 6 through 8. Way back, the last book in the Bible on the right, Revelation 21, 6 through 8, that's page 1041 in the Bibles we passed out. I want you to see one more scripture on, on how, the, how lying brings God's condemnation. Lying that's not repented of, lying that's not confessed, lying that's not resisted, or there's no remorse, will bring condemnation. This is a very sobering passage. Revelation 21, 6 through 8. Page 1041. John writes this and he talks about what Jesus says to him. And he, Jesus, said to me, It is done. It is finished. I am the Alpha, first letter in the Greek language, and the Omega, last letter in the Greek language, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Awesome promise. The one who conquers, by faith trusting Christ, the one who conquers will have this heritage of receiving from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Don't you love that promise? It's awesome. But, verse 8, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's a very frightening picture of God's condemnation, right? A lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And and what, what John is saying there, what Jesus is saying to John, is that liars, that is those who continue in a practice, a pattern of lying, without remorse, without confession, without repentance, will fall into this condemnation. Not because lying can make you lose your salvation, but a, a pattern of lying without repentance and remorse would show that you never have been 
saved. Because if you've been saved, you don't become perfect, but your heart changes. And so as you are tempted to lie, you may stumble, but you'll repent or you'll resist and you'll grow. But there'll either be repentance or resistance. Growth, growth, growth. And if that's you, you won't face condemnation. But if you have a pattern of lying and there's no repentance, there's no confession, there's no coming before the cross, that would raise serious questions. And if that continues without changing, James would say you will fall under God's condemnation. But see, there's good news. Okay? Repent. Confess. Jesus, forgive me. And what will Jesus do when you, from the heart, ask him to forgive you? Total forgiveness. Right? Past, present, future. His power will come upon you. He'll start to change you. He'll satisfy you. You'll be a brand new creation. Okay, so great news here. Listen, if you are saying, yikes, that's me. I've just got this pattern of lying and and I have no confession, repentance, no remorse, no connection with Jesus. I've got great news for you. Turn to him. Repent. Confess. Say, forgive me. Change me. I'm sorry. I know now. Help me. And he will move in upon you with his power. You'll be forgiven, you'll be changed, you'll be restored. Anyway, that's the good news. But James wants us to feel the seriousness that if we have a practice of lying and that doesn't change, there's no repentance, there's no confession, we will fall under condemnation. Now why? I mean, what's so serious about lying? Just lying, right? Got white lies, got gray lies, you know, no, it's black lies, just the white ones, the gray ones, whatever. The Bible never talks about white, gray lies, lies, lies are lies. Why would lying receive such a harsh judgment? Look at one scripture, Isaiah 57, 11, to see. Turn there, it's page 617. I also put down Revel, uh, Jeremiah 9, 3 in your notes. We won't turn to it now for the sake of time, but uh, you can look at it on your own. But look at page 617. What's so serious about lying? Why would he say, and all liars will be thrown into the lake of fire, sulfur? Isaiah 57, 11. God's talking to Israel. Look at what he says. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me? Did not lay it to heart. Did not lay to heart who I am. Whom did you dread and fear so that you lied and did not remember me? See, whenever you lie, exaggerate, make excuses, falsify information, Whenever you lie, the reality is that you are not remembering God. At that point, you have chosen to forget God. I mean, just try this. Next time you you find that you have lied, you'll notice that there is nothing of God in your heart at that point in time. You you have chosen to forget about God. You've turned your back on God at that moment. You've forgotten God. You can see the same thing in Jeremiah 9, 3 turn there. So, so the, the question that I had then at this point was, well, what is it that we forget about God specifically, which makes us lie? And, and I want you to look at Isaiah, uh, Psalm 8411. I told you we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, so let your fingers do the walk. In Psalm 8411, page 493, here's a promise that's repeated in many different ways throughout both Old and New Testament, but this is the heart of, of what it is that we forget about God, what it is that we reject about God when we choose to lie. Look at Psalm 8411. 
is a wonderful promise. I would encourage you to memorize this scripture. This is so encouraging. I find great heart strength coming to me from this scripture time and time again. Psalm 84.11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Now, especially this last line. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Just just think about that. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, upright walking includes telling the truth, right? So no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly, which means if you walk uprightly, which includes telling the truth, there will not be anything that would have been good for you that you will miss. Every good thing that everything that would be good for you, God will give to you if you walk uprightly. This is an astonishing promise. As you look ahead to your future, as you walk uprightly, everything that would be good for you, God will give it to you. He will give it to you. He will give it to you. He will give it to you. Every good thing, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Okay, now what does this have to do with lying? Everything. Because think about it. Why do you lie? You lie because you think the way to get something good in this case is by lying. This is how you think you get something good, right? For example, um, why do you lie about how big the fish was that you caught? Okay, It's because you want to get the good of impressing other people. There's some good you want to get. You think lying is how to get it. Why do you lie about your golf game? because there's some good that you want to get is your people will be impressed by what you shot or whatever it was, okay? Why do you lie about uh, how old your kids are to the restaurant manager? It's because there's some good you want to get, like what? A cheaper restaurant bill, right? More money in your wallet, right? Why do we lie about why you're late for work? Okay, there, there's some good that you want to get or some pain you want to avoid or whatever it might be. So if think about it. The, the reason that you lie, the reason that I lie is because there's some good that I'm trying to get, and I think the way to get it is by lying. You see that? You all look like you're stunned. Does that that make sense? Every time I lie, it's because there's some good that I want to get. But God says that the way we get every good is by walking uprightly, which includes telling the truth. So, when I was telling that high habitual officer, I was just going with the flow of the traffic. I was not trusting what God wrote here in Psalm 8411 at that point in time. I was thinking the way to get something good, like no ticket, please, is by making an excuse. Right? That's what I thought. And so when I was lying at that point in time, I was telling the officer in the whole world, God is a liar when he says the way to get good is by walking uprightly. God's not telling the truth on that one. He's wrong. He's lying. You cannot trust him in Psalm 8411. Every time I lie, my dad likes to say, it's like I'm standing up on a mountaintop shaking my fist and saying, God can't be trusted. Every time I lie. Do you believe that? Okay. Now, do you see why there'd be such a serious punishment to those who have a practice of lying. Because if the trend of your life is to be shaking your fist and saying to the universe, God can't be trusted, that's what God has to punish. So I want you to feel 
why lying, which can seem so innocent, and like everybody does it, and there's white lies and gray lies. No. Those who continue in lying will fall under God's condemnation. If you continue in a pattern of lying, without confession, without repentance, you will fall under God's condemnation. Because that shows that what's in your heart is you've chosen to forget God. You've chosen to, to say God's lying. That, that Psalm 8411 and all the passages that say the same thing in different words, God's lying about that. He's not true. Do you feel that? Okay, now. That's why lying is so serious. So how do we stop lying? What do we do? And we, we trust what God says, like Psalm 8411. We can find it right there. We, we, we look at Psalm 8411 and we say, he says, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now think about it. If when I lie, what's in my heart is I've chosen to not trust that and to forget that, so there's, I'm not trusting Psalm 8411, and what comes out is a lie, how do I stop lies from coming out? It's by trusting Psalm 8411, right? If not trusting Psalm 8411 produces lies, how do I stop producing lies? It's by trusting Psalm 8411. Here's what I mean. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Okay, now, the, now the first thing we've got to get clear is, walking uprightly does not mean perfection. It does not mean perfection. The Bible is very clear. Old Testament, New Testament, this side of heaven, no one walks uprightly perfectly. That's not what's being talked about here. When you look at the Old Testament, talk about walking uprightly, it's the Hebrew word tamin, which has to do with your heart being focused in trusting God. It's not perfection, it's direction of your heart. Your heart's looking to Jesus. You're trusting Jesus. So if you're feeling like, I'll never walk perfectly, you are right. And that has no bearing on whether you can be part of this promise or not. Because walking uprightly does not mean perfection, it means direction of your heart. You're trusting Jesus, and when you trust him, his power comes upon you, starts to change you, you want to obey him, and you will be growing in obeying him. Not perfect, but growing. That's what walking uprightly is. Okay? So, quiz time. Does walking uprightly mean perfection? No. See, if you think that, then it's hopeless. Okay? For all of us. For me. I do not walk perfectly uprightly. Okay? I'm not proud of it. But I don't. None of us does this side of heaven. Okay, so it means trusting Jesus. He died on the cross to pay for all of your imperfection, all of your sin. And so walking uprightly means trusting Jesus. And when you trust him meaningfully from the heart, his power will come upon you. First of all, you're totally forgiven because you're trusting him. And his power will come upon you and start to change you. Okay, so, so then, then that, that means that if you're trusting Jesus, if you're imperfect and trusting Jesus... If you are not perfectly free from sin and trusting Jesus, you are part of the last part of Psalm 84.11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So that, what that means is that if I'm, if I'm walking uprightly, which includes I'm growing now in telling the truth, okay, if I'm, if I'm walking uprightly, God will withhold no good thing from me. This is an amazing promise. Now I just have to throw in, don't misunderstand, this does not mean that if you're walking uprightly, you will be perfectly healthy or fabulously wealthy. Okay, it does not mean that. Okay, first of all, the highest good, that I mean, your highest good is 
knowing Jesus Christ. Right? Paul says, I count everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's highest good. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What an amazing statement. But so our highest good is God, knowing Jesus. We need strength. We need financial provision. We need guidance. There's lots of other things that we need, lots of other good things that God will give to us. But don't misunderstand, if there's something you wanted to have and you're walking up brightly and God doesn't give it to you, it's because it wasn't something that would be good for you. See, God is infinitely wiser than we are. He loves us much more than we love ourselves. And so don't cling to what you think something good is. Cling to trusting that God will do what is really good for you. Okay? That makes sense? All right. So, but having said that, as you're walking uprightly, everything, everything, everything that would be good for Steve Fuller, I will have. And the day will come when I'm in heaven and I will look back and I will see, yes, look at God's faithfulness. All of the things I, I wanted to have that I didn't have, it wouldn't have been good. And this was good and this was good. God just, he, God, see, God is good. He's rejoicing over us to do us good. So he's always wanting to bring us good. He will bring us all the good we need. He'll withhold nothing if we walk uprightly. When you trust that, when you get, get your heart wrapped around that, you'll stop lying. You'll stop lying. Why would you try to impress people by telling them that the fish was bigger than it really was? No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. So if I walk uprightly, which includes telling the truth, God's going to give me everything that would be good for me, including whatever level of respect or relationship I have with the people I'm talking to. God will take care of that. Right? Do you believe that? He will give you whatever level of favor will be best for you to have. You don't need to exaggerate to get that good. You walk up brightly, God will give you whatever that good would be. Uh, Why try to save money by lying to the restaurant manager about how old your kids are? Get the kids meal, okay? Why, why, Why do that? No good thing will God withhold from those who walk up brightly. No good thing. If you walk up brightly, if you tell the truth, you'll have everything that would be good for you. Do you, do you trust that? Do you trust God? Will you say, yes, I trust you. I'm going to tell the truth. No, my kids aren't all under 12. Okay. Sometimes I asked them, could we use the kids' menu anyway? And they would say yes. Okay. But anyway, not all the time. <laughs> why try to avoid problems by lying to my boss about why I'm late? No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. I overslept. Ah. God will, because you walked uprightly, he will give you everything at that moment that would be good. Which may mean getting written up. May mean losing your job. It may mean getting promoted because you were so honest. Okay? By the way, walking uprightly, you, you may go to bed earlier the night before, so you don't oversleep. Okay, just, just, a, just a thought, just to throw that out there, okay? Maybe. But you see how this works? If, if, we, if we will trust that there is no good thing that God will withhold from those who walk uprightly, if you trust that promise, then you will stop lying. Because there's no need to try to get good by means of lying because God's going to provide the good as you walk uprightly. And so if you're trusting that, then that's how you'll see the pattern of lying break. So you, you walk uprightly. You come to Jesus. You repent. 
You confess. You receive forgiveness. He starts to change your heart. He'll strengthen your faith. You'll trust that promise. And you will find that you're lying less and less. You're resisting it more and more. You're repenting of it when you stumble and fall in that area. And you'll be growing. And you will not fall under condemnation. Okay, now what, what questions does this stir up? It's helpful sometimes to throw questions out like that to the body and to see what, the, what response. Just, just to be a body here, so let's ask the wives. Wives, what would be helpful? If, 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 uh, if you're asking and, and if it's... If it, if it, if it, it, you can say it's not your favorite. Okay, behind you, that's good. Packaging the truth. Okay. So it sounds like truth well packaged is, is the answer. Yeah, there's, 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 no, there's no one size fits all for that question. I mean, maybe somebody else can chime in here too, but um, you've got to take these things to the Lord and get a sense from Him as to what He wants you to do. Uh, every situation is different. People are different. The severity of the situation is different. The timing is different. And it, the, what I found is that the bottom line is, Lord, okay, what do you want me to do here? Is this a time to say, speak, or is this a time to not speak? And He could call you to do either one. Not speaking is not lying. Is not lying. Right, so I've just found I mean, there's lots we could t- lots more to say about that in terms of how to handle different scenarios. But I think the bottom line is, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? And I love that. So yeah, don't don't walk out of here saying, okay, I'm going to really try hard to tell the truth, and so I'm, because I'm supposed to, I'm going to tell you because I'm supposed to. Don't tell the truth because you're supposed to. Tell the truth because no good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Make it Godward, so that in your heart you're connected to the living Jesus. Let me just close with one story. Uh, 20 years ago, I worked in real estate as the church was getting started. And, and uh, I remember I was helping some sellers sell a house, and a, a buyer's agent came in, presented an offer, looked really fantastic. But then as we read closely, this agent was asking my clients to lie. And she said, oh, everybody does it. So I asked her to go back out to her car, and we talked. And, and the, my clients were believers, and I said, you know, she's asking you to lie here, and I don't think you should do this. And it was a little scary because the good that they wanted was to sell their house. And the good that I wanted was the commission, but I'm really helpful. And so, you know, I, we just decided we can't do this. We, we've got to say no. We, we're not going to lie. And then, it's just so sweet, then this idea popped into my mind about a way that we could, uh, another way we could make it work that was completely legit, legal, that addressed the problem, and it was all above board. And so we asked the agent to come back in, shared it with her, and she said, okay. And so it ended up selling. So it was just a powerful lesson to me. No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Even when you see no way out, I mean, we're going to lose the sale, lose the commission. And God could have had us lose the sale and the commission, and that would have still been a good thing. That's right. You understand that, right? But in this case, he decided to have the sale come through anyway, and he just he honored what my clients, they were committed to telling the truth, and he honored them for that. They sold their house, smooth escrow, and they were gone. So make this just like Zach said, make it God word. So you're talking to Jesus. Jesus, you've promised that I'll have everything good if I will tell the truth here. Help me to trust you for that and then tell the truth. Okay? Let's stand. Let's pray about this. I pray, Lord, that that no one would leave here today just, I'm not going to lie because I'm not supposed to. I I pray, Lord, that we would leave here today amazed by who you are and what you promised to do for us.
that as we walk uprightly, as we trust you, Jesus, as we're in a mode of confession and repentance before you, as we're seeking to do your will, relying on your strength, as we're walking uprightly, you will give us every good thing. What a God you are. Every hour this afternoon as we're walking uprightly, you're giving us good things. Every day this coming week, you have good things you want to give to us. You are a God who loves to give us good. And we we say, yes, the highest good is yourself. Knowing you, Jesus, is everything. And anything else we would need, you'll give to us as well. So I pray that we leave here today with a really big picture of you. That you're the God who, when we trust Jesus and walk with Jesus uprightly, you will give us everything that would be good for us. Everything. We won't miss anything that would have been good. So right now, strengthen us with confidence in that, I pray. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord, I ask. Just just bring this, settle this into our hearts, I'm, I'm asking, Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.